first generation. Oh, yeah. So what else has Peter Chesham directed? Well, first of all, he's directed Serendipity. Yeah, that's that's what we're talking about today. But what else has he done? Because it, it's an interesting... This movie takes an interesting directorial approach to it, I think. There's a lot of cute little uh, endearing scenes from it that, upon further viewings, make a lot of sense. Like, I never caught the intro scene of Serendipity until I'd seen it three or four times. Like the very first scene with the ladies at the department store handling the gloves that set the whole thing in motion. I don't know why, but I was oblivious to all of that uh, for the first two or three yeah. times I watched this movie. Bro, Eugene Levy, uh, he's masterful. Great. <laughs> yeah. I love you, him, man, in this movie. I was watching this uh, with my wife, and first of all, she has seen it maybe once or twice so uh, this was a she'd never seen it with me, so that was fun. It was it's a romantic movie, but we mentioned that Eugene Levy Levy does not age at all. He looks the damn same. Yeah, and this movie is from two thousand and one, and then we watched Shit's Creek, which is a pretty funny show starring Eugene Levy and his son as well. Uh, we're like uh, it's kind of like Beverly Hillbillies, but a modern take on it. Uh, super rich family, and they lose all their money, and they go live in like the rural redneck uh, part of of the woods, and okay, in a right. very small town. It's hilarious. Uh, I love Eugene. I think most people know him from American Pie, probably in our age. I think that's kind of what spurred everybody to know who he was. He looks the same in American Pie. Was this before American Pie? I forget what year that. This came is after out. American it's Pie. After American Has to, wait a second. Has to be. I'll look it up. But let's let's I, go yeah, back American to Peter Pie's Chisholm. Ninety nine. Yeah. Because, so uh, he's done some movies that i really really like some very underappreciated movies um one of the ones i want to i hope we can talk about later in life is uh, hector and the search for happiness never seen it man such a great movie with uh, uh what's his face simon Pegg. oh okay it's really good uh he did the space between us he also did that's uh, a recent one with uh aza butterfield mm-hmm. both right? of those movies are, are much later okay. in his career yeah he also did a movie in 98 called the mighty which was uh it's a good it's a good movie it's right. about um a little kind of nerdy kid who befriends a big kid who's kind of like not as smart as him and he kind of protects the smaller kid and they become like very best friends okay um yeah he did funny bones in 95 hear my song in 91 and treacle which was a 98 short but yeah serendipity is definitely the standout in his uh filmography hannah montana the movie in 2009 (laughs) still going with serendipity man Oh man, you know, I Serendipity is a great movie, but I really did love Hector and the Search for Happiness. So, um that might be me. It's on my, my radar now. Him, okay. So give it a shot. But yeah, Serendipity is uh I remember seeing that in the theater actually. Same. In the high school. I was Same. a teenager and uh it really resonated with me even as a teenager. I really um it was one of those movies um, growing up that I really liked, but I never talked with my friends about it. I got a it. feeling we're going to be a little more vulnerable <laughs> in this episode than yes. we ever have been. And that's why I've been looking forward to having this talk about serendipity. Because, yeah, I saw this in theaters. I would think I went and saw this alone. I don't remember seeing it with any buddies. Uh, I don't think I was uh, I was dating anyone at the time. So I don't think I went to see it with any significant other in Me my too. I think I, I may saw have gone to see this by well. my damn self. Dang, man. Hopeless closet romantics. That's what it is. That plays into is. it, though, because, yeah. Because uh, so her character is a closet a hopeless, hopeless romantic because she's a therapist. Kate who, Beckinsale, right? Yeah, Kate Beckinsale's character, Sarah. Sarah Thomas? Thompson? Sarah Thomas. Yeah, and she's yeah. she's uh, totally against this whole fate 
thing. And, you know, she's telling her, like, uh, client, oh, you got to do the work. That's uh, what it's about. Well, we kind of skipped she, fast. Yeah, she opens as being the girl who does believe in serendipity. And, okay, so the opening scene of this film takes place during Christmas yes, Eve this is, or this Christmas, is a Christmas shopping movie. week. Yeah, it is definitely This is Christmas why we put movie. on our list, yeah. Yeah, because we're a week removed from uh, the most wonderful time of the year. Oh. And, yeah. uh... So the movie opens with a couple of department store employees putting a pair of gloves out on like a Black Friday type sale. And as soon as the we follow uh, the, the same shot of the gloves going from uh, these two ladies' hands down the escalators onto the rack of this Bloomingdale store. And then as soon as they hit the shelf, uh, we see... Sarah Thomas, played by Kate Beckinsale, and uh, so beautiful. Yes, I was in love with her in high school. And what's man. what's John Cusack's character's name? John Cusack. No. <laughs> Isn't John Cusack always John? He's Cusack always in every John movie? Cusack. But we love him for that, man. He's like that lovable. Yeah, he, he's in Devil May Care. He's always himself. Yeah, yeah, and I love that. He's kind of got like a cult following, I would say. You know, his whole career is kind of these like off. Off center movies, and I don't know he's if you've like been following his, of that. You have know? you been following his career in the last four or five? He's straight to video, like super sci fi, low budget. He's taking the Bruce Willis route, yeah. which is uh, put out a bunch of well, uh, I haven't easy seen, money stuff. I haven't seen that, but like most of his career, I feel like from 16 Candles Say to anything. Uh, uh, Gross Point Blank, you know, he's, yeah. he's got these off Ice Harvest center movies, like oh, you yeah. know, they're kind of got their own flavor, or High Fidelity is one of my favorites, yeah. Um, so but he's always playing himself, and he's this love you know uh emotional uh almost kind of melancholy character you know um hopeless romantic a lot of times as well because he did america's sweetheart too right yes he did um what is the character's name in this i don't have my uh jonathan traeger uh jonathan traeger thanks for (laughs) the reminder so jonathan and sarah are fighting over this pair of gloves that has just made it onto the rack and they're each shopping for their significant others in their life, which, you know, uh, off off the bat, that kind of, uh, it, I know it rubbed my wife the wrong way. When she, after we watched this movie, she's like, man, I really like Serendipity and it's very, it's a heartwarming film. But at the same time, these two people aren't being very honest about what's, uh, about their, they're not being tr- I want to say faithful. what my wife said too. Like she said this, um, this is the first time watching it. We were watching it the other night and she's like, uh, there's nothing wrong with their significant others right now. Like yeah. what is wrong with these people? Like she kind of didn't like the uh, Yanni character or like the yeah, Kenny the, G character. The John Corbett played Yeah, character. she was like, uh, he's kind of an ass. Lars. But I was like, you know what? But he, he left his tour to come be with her. He like slept outside her hotel room. Yeah. This is later in well, the Well, that movie. was a little obsessive of him. I think he was feeling... Codependency yeah, maybe? Yeah, he was feeling some sort <clears throat> of... Uh, it doesn't matter. There's They're perfectly fine people to be with. Like That's what's strange about this movie. Usually the movie will try to paint the person that the main character is going to cheat on their yeah, as having with. a flaw yeah. or like she's really <laughs> evil inside and uh, yeah. and so there's a, a reason yeah. yeah but these people were fine and well, I don't even know that these were the same people because this movie uh, has some some timeline jumps so this opening scene in the mm-hmm. department store all we hear is that John Cusack has a girlfriend and Sarah Thomas uh, Kate Beckinsale's character has a boyfriend so they're both shopping for for them at this point but they're yeah and they have this magical uh, uh, evening where they a connection yeah they say. definitely have a, a connection they go ice skating right they go ice skating they have uh, coffee at a cute little shop called serendipity and mm. then uh, Kate Beckinsale explains what serendipity is to John Cusack 
And then it goes on like a super romantic, whimsical uh, sort of approach to it. And they start writing down phone numbers, and then the wind blows the phone number away. Oh, wait. You forget the Waldorf Astoria. Oh, we're not there yet. Wasn't No, that was in the beginning when they go up the... Uh, oh, yeah, you're no, right. That's that, at the very yeah, end. Yeah, so, right. so after, after leaving this little date at this coffee shop... Uh, Kate Beckinsale writes down her phone number on a piece of paper, and then the wind gust takes the paper away. And then John Cusack knows already that uh, this girl he's into puts a lot of impetus on fate. And uh, at this point in the movie, she's driven by fate, and she believes that everything is is serendipitous and that we have to pay attention to our surroundings and everything going on to really tap into this other world that's trying to speak to us. So as soon as he sees that number fly away, he says, whoa, 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 don't think anything of it. And then she kicks into, you know, um, gear. She ups the level. Yeah, and she says, okay, if we're really meant to be together, then I'll write... Uh, I'll write down this saying on this this book yeah. and with my number and, and I'll trade it into a bookstore tomorrow and if you ever find this uh we're at, meant to be together. We're meant to be together and then he there's also a $5, $5 bill. Yeah. She yep. he writes it on a $5 bill. She goes and buys a magazine or something. She buys some, a, a stick of gum or a candy and yep. then she gives him the $5 bill and then another stranger comes and picks it up and walks away with it. Absolutely. So they set themselves up to follow this this serendipitous ridiculous plan. Potential uh and Fun. also worked into that is the fact that uh, at first they just sort of walk away from the night without without exchanging too much, but they really have that clicking moment because John Cusack forgot something in the cafe that they they had their little uh their little moment in and he walks back in and there's Kate Beckinsale already there because she forgot something as well. So then like the, a coat. Yeah, then the scarf. fate gears start going and they're like, okay, let's treat this with uh, a little bit more respect than we, we had just given it. Maybe there is something going on here that's that's a little uh, heavier than than we can both explain, and that's how they sort of they fall in love in one night, in New York City, which is easy to do if you've ever been in New York City in a romantic time of the year. It's uh, and, and you're of age to where you have an understanding of what love is. I know I've been there at 22, 23 years old. I took a cross country trip from Dallas to New York City, straight one shot. Uh, I had a couple of of musical. Uh, arrangements and and calendar events that I was attending to along the eastern seaboard in in uh, Washington D.C. and Baltimore, Maryland, and then on New Year's Eve in New York City, I end up and I had I had a, a I would say a, a one of magical sort of romantic evening there, and it was very it was very in that moment, and that was it. That was all it ever was. Uh, so nice. And you haven't seen the before sunset trilogy. Before I have not sunrise. seen before sunset or before sunrise or before uh, midnight. You have to see I need to. There's a criterion then. collection on those things. Looking forward to that. I yeah. loved it, man. Shout out to criterion. They put out some amazing packages, but these guys, uh, these two characters, they do take it up a notch. And again, I was 22, 23 when all this went down. And uh, I was pretty honest with myself. I, I knew there wasn't really much going on. It was just, uh, it, it, it was a, uh, it was a one night stand without the stand. Mm. Let's put it that way. Okay. It was a good hearted right. one night stand. That's it was nice. Yeah. yeah. I mean, 
I think this different. movie drove my want to experience an event like that, and that yeah. may be why I even drove to New York City on a whim. Wow! Uh, to to during s- Christmas time, huh? During Christmas time, yeah. It was a it was a solo. It was a coming of age trip. Yeah, Christmas in New York is a different animal, man. Yeah. I love it. I love it. it the setting know, in this movie is great. New even York though it doesn't take yeah, place in, during Christmas. In different seasons, it takes a different life. You know, in spring and autumn and in Christmas time, man. It's um, it's definitely cold, but it's it's romantic. It is. I mean, being at Rockefeller Center, seeing the Christmas tree and the being ice surrounded skating. by skyscrapers, mm-hmm. feeling feeling like the world is sort of tracked in on on what you're doing at that moment in time because New York's got that sort of vibe to it. Yeah. Uh, walking in Times Square and seeing yourself on the the screen as you're walking in Times Square, they do that now. Like yeah. everybody gets to look up and, and see it's themselves. different now. I, I we went back a couple of years ago, like four or five years ago, and uh, Times Square. You, there's no driving there anymore. So it's like every, it's just walking. Wow. When I was there and th- during this time, so it is close to me during this time, I was spending my summers there for my mom living there or during Christmas time. And, uh, during that time you could, there, there was cars still going through Times Square. So if you look back in history, uh, New York's changed quite a bit since then. Um, so this is kind of a nostalgic, like snapshot of it is. what it was in 2000 and 2001. One, yeah. Important yeah. note on that because New York changed drastically in 2001. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, yeah. This film, you actually know a little bit more about the filming uh, than I do of it. Yeah, it was filmed before 9-11. So when it, but when it released in the theaters, they digitally altered the World Trade Center. It out. was a month. It was released a month after 9-11, yes. essentially, October 15th. So out of like respect, I guess they did that mm. or they just didn't want to I don't know why they decided to do that it to was be sensitive man I it mean is. a month after 9-11 a romantic comedy taking place in New York is going to be hard to sell yet this thing made 80 million bucks mm-hmm. uh, and clearly takes place in New York but I didn't realize that they shopped out the, uh, yeah, the World Trade Center they did and you know I we I recently bought it on digital good and i realized classic yeah i mean i'm gonna watch it over and over it is a good i had forgotten about it for years but i used to watch it all the time i tell my wife Um, i can only watch that movie when it's cold outside yeah it is one of those and um the world trade center was back in the movie i saw it and i'm like is did they just forget this scene or it's right above the uh, rink the ice skating rink which i don't know if that's a real ice skating rink because i've never seen that ice skating rink Maybe they just set it up for that day, to be honest. Well, that uh, movie was not shot in the winter, so all of the snow is fake. Uh, All of the ice rink is propped up, (laughs) and that's why... Uh, at the end of this movie uh, we'll uh, we'll get there eventually you know us on the film room we'll we'll get there it may take some time but we'll we'll meander spoilers abound yeah absolutely Uh, at the end of this movie that same ice rink comes into play and there's puddles of water everywhere and it almost looks like concrete uh, if you if you really hone in on on the texture and that's because it was shot in June July of 2001 so yeah how did he not sweat bro because in June they use something like this advanced technology with soap bubbles for the time that made everything look like snow. And, oh, I was uh, thinking. I was thinking. Like, how does John, oh, how John Cusick not sweat? Because he's in a jacket. Yeah, the whole movie and almost in every movie he's in a jacket. I wonder if it's in his. Uh, I'm more intrigued contract. by the breath, uh, the cold breath 
CGI that they had because this is oh one man. I mean, He's CGI just a strong wasn't smoker, that bro. sophisticated. <laughs> he was taking drags in between takes. <laughs> he is a strong smoker. I'm pretty sure he is, yeah. dude. It's just coming out of his lungs at this point. Every time I hear him talk, I think uh, I only experience this with the Gyllenhaals, but I see his sister so much. Oh yeah, Joan dude. Cusack. <laughs> they are so much alike. They man. look the damn same. <laughs> so John Cusack, like, uh, and he's look- super tall too. Yeah. You in this movie, you can really tell. He's really tall. He's in a crowd of New Yorkians, and he's taller than everybody there. I didn't realize how tall he was until I was really watching this movie. Because in most movies, he seems regular size. You know, he's you know he's filmed in a way where he's not looked as super tall as a giant. They couldn't hide yeah. it when he's next to everybody else in this. Yeah, because he is next to a shorter actor who plays his best friend in this film, uh, Jeremy, Jeremy Piven. Piven. And John Cusack and Jeremy Piven go way back. They actually, Do they? yeah, they were friends uh, coming up on the 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 Broadway circuit or the acting school circuit that they were a part of back. Uh, in the college days so when Jeremy Piven read this script and he was like yeah I'd love to do this the director was very astounded to find out that they were actually close friends and he wanted that sort of uh, that that sense of of knowledge oh it definitely does because that best man so after okay let's get to that next scene because after they go their separate ways and they've set up sort of fate the Waldorf Astoria uh yeah we can't, we can't miss that because yes. the, the devil kid is awesome oh my god it's that like, kid was hired off the streets that day no I watched, way yeah i watched the commentary on this oh for the first 30 minutes i hated I that loved, kid oh that kid was so annoying the hissing he's problem child one and two well he's That's also, exactly what it looks sim- like the symbology there is amazing <laughs> because here's a movie about serendipity and you've got like uh serendipity by definition is good fortune coming to fruition and positive sort of vibes and so they say themselves up to do all this and the last thing they say is uh let's pick a random floor at the same time at the waldorf astoria and if we both end up on that same floor at the same time we'll know we were meant to be together and the thing is they get into these elevators and the waldorf you'll know the uh, how many stories is the waldorf i don't know i want to say it's at least 50 at least okay so it's 50 stories and of course it's a it's a hopeless romantic film so they do get in separate elevators and they do press the same floor number 23 uh, ironically uh, Jim, shout out Jordan. to Jim Carrey, number twenty-three. Michael Jordan, yeah, and Jordan as well. Uh, I see, I see that number everywhere. Yeah, but uh, they get in these elevators. They press the same number. But Kate Beckinsale gets there, and she's willing to wait five minutes. And Cusack's character does not get there because a father and his son dressed up as the devil oh. on New on uh, Christmas Eve gets into the why elevator. Is he yeah, as why? The devil? Anyways, the devil <laughs> and he kid is that like <laughs> and the devil kid presses all the buttons oh on the elevator. So at this point, if I was really into this girl and fate was a thing, I would just run to floor twenty three and I'd be like, I'm not gonna let this get in the way. But it's a it's a movie, so of course Bro, have you ran up twenty three flights of stairs? I've ran up uh fifteen. Uh I, gosh. I don't remember why. He's acts a strong that. smoker. He's oh, no, yeah, that's he true. Ain't he ain't make making it, it. Even if he takes three at a time. <laughs> So, unfortunately, uh, as the elevator, Cusack's elevator, goes up trying to make it to floor 23, a little mini odyssey of sorts uh, there. <laughs> and people keep accumulating. And yeah, here's and the I thing. guess he's telling the story to each one of them, and they're all in on, on it, his, too. Yeah, so the child changes, and then he's in on it. They're all trying to get there. You man. know what? This is what we do on the film room, though. There is a theme. That is a running theme in the movie, because all of the side characters end up being a major part of 
in propelling the serendipitous sort of uh, fruition, manifestation of everything. Uh, Kate Beckinsale's best friend, Jeremy Piven, at first they're very skeptical of what's going on. They're like, this is impossible, what you're trying to do. But they get sucked into the magic of what's happening at the same time, just Everybody like those people believe, in that man. elevator did in that small window. Well, it's a lovable story. Why wouldn't you be in on it? Yeah, oh, right. it's probably because you didn't tell uh, them that they're both seeing other people. Don't want to rain on anybody's yeah, parade. Yeah, don't. You <laughs> don't want to be. Yeah, because in reality, Sorry, both guys. of these, both of these characters. Uh, okay, let, let's stay at the Waldorf. Real but quick. are they seeing the same per- people? Yeah, I don't think so because there's a time jump. Yeah, so. that's what I was wondering because it's like eight years later. Or yeah, something like six that. or seven years later, and or at least we're led to believe it says yeah. a few years. But it later. is endearing that all the people. It's funny. It's a comical relief. Yeah. But I mean, really, why wouldn't? Why don't you just jump out of the elevator and go to another elevator? Because what's ridiculous about this? If you've ever lived in a high rise building, this it, is the most ridiculous. You got about 10 elevators to choose from. Well, not not only that, but like you're in a theater. The way he's accumulating people, it would never happen like that. People would not go up. They're all going down. That's when you're hitting everything. You got to suspend the the believability (laughs) a little for the sake of of the And Well, well, first off, they would have never made it in the Waldorf story, okay? Because they got doormen. They're not going to just let anybody walk in there, you know, unless you're checking in. Damn, you're ruining I'm sorry, man. (laughs) I mean, I know know this area is like across from the park. It's a beautiful thing, you know? Um, but yeah, so, so that's- <laughs> eventually John Cusack makes it up to the 23rd floor and then She's the gone. sadness uh, hits because she got on an elevator to go downstairs as soon as he gets off. So, uh, this movie is basically, uh, a work and, and a fight to get back into that serendipitous alignment that they felt in the moment of falling in love with one another. Mm-hmm. That's sort of what love um, wants you to fight for in in a weird way in life, is is when you feel it, it, it says you can have this as a constant if you work for it and if if you you earn, uh, earn love uh, in, in a weird way. And so they felt this this bit for this brief moment and they were hooked to it for whatever reason and then the misalignment occurs and and the because this isn't an easy journey for them to get back into each other's lives uh that's what makes this movie so endearing as soon as they miss themselves at the waldorf astoria it goes on okay now back to a regularly scheduled program and Mm -hmm. then we flash forward a few years and jeremy piven's character is introduced the best friend of john cusack and he's having a best man toast on the eve of his wedding now or like three days before his wedding day yeah and uh, John Cusack's involved with another woman at this point. We don't know if it's the same lady he was shopping for gloves for. But we uh, do know it's Tom Brady's baby mama. Uh, is it? Yeah, Bridget Moynihan. Yeah, uh, she had Tom Brady's baby dang, after they broke up. You Tom know, remember Bra- that? Nah, Tom Brady was a stud, I guess. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I man. always had him as Giselle Bunchton's uh, hubby the oh, he's whole been entirety. around, bro. He's been around. Son of he's, a gun. He's been, he's been there for a while. So Bridget Moynihan, who uh, I crushed on when she was in The Recruit with Colin Farrell, oh. uh, that movie about CIA I loved her in The Lord of War. Ah, uh, she was good in that, Yuri's, too. Uh, wife. <laughs> yeah, she's got a... She's a she's a trophy wife-looking type of lady, I guess. Yeah, but Which she can makes also sense play. with Tom Brady. Like, he yeah. wants that, you know? 
She kind of fits. She's she's kind of like a more classy version of that girl from American Pie. What's her name? Shannon, Shannon Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Yeah, yeah she's a more sense. classy version she's a, of that. She's a notch up. Yeah, yeah. I'm okay. sorry. I, I love Shannon Elizabeth or whatever. Or not, not Shannon Elizabeth. Is yeah, it? Shannon Elizabeth. I like her too, but I'm just saying that she seems more like uh, just classier. Like she likes to yeah. Shannon up, Elizabeth cocktail dresses went on to be in such great films as Jack Frost, the horror version. Oh yeah. So yeah, the, the horror version I think was the, the best one. It, you didn't like the Michael Keaton one. I like the Michael Keaton one, but dude, that Jack Frost one, come on, who who didn't go on the Blockbuster Aisle and accidentally that? rent that one yeah. and was not expecting Nuts. what came? Well, that's another conversation. We I should saw, go through that. I saw that, some but. families with kids renting that one yeah. while I was working at a Blockbuster, and I was like, oh, yeah, enjoy. You, you messed Have up. Have fun. Yeah. Um, so John Cusack's getting married to Bridget Moynihan in a couple of days. Obviously, Kate Beckinsale is long gone in the past and sort of out of sight, out of mind. Uh, and then we get a look at what's going on in Kate Beckinsale's life, and she is uh, With proposed to my Greek fat wedding, wedding my guy. big fat Greek wedding. John Corbett uh, was he who, in the Sex in the City too? I want to say he was. So that's the connection between uh, another actor in this film who was in Sex in the City, Bridget Moynihan. Oh, I, I never watched Sex and the City. I just know that he was kind of big on that show. Yeah, he was. Uh, and Bridget I had some roommates that loved it, though, apparently. Dang, really? <laughs> yeah. Before my time. So I'll never revisit Sex and the City. That's I, when HBO was maybe not either. the greatest. It was, it was a good show, I'm sure, but it's not my cup of it tea. It won a ton of awards back then, mm-hmm. which beyond me. But serendipity. <laughs> All right, back to serendipity. Yeah. So, so both of these characters are essentially getting married because John Corbett's character proposes to Kate Beckinsale in a very romantic way. The music that's playing... Uh, sure, the, you sure? Yeah, the, sure. For the time in 01, when I saw the box inside of the box inside of the box, I was like, whoa, you oh, could do this? And then all the uh, the fire hazard of the candles yes. with the fluffy rugs. <laughs> and the music at. that's playing at that scene, I just love that. It's that very music. Friends. It's, uh, it's like a Friends yeah, episode. It's Sade. It's very Sade-like and very uh, very quirky and romantic. Yo, I mean, come on. Do, y'all, do you guys remember the infomercials for Yanni? You remember yeah. that guy? That's who he reminds me of he's definitely a they were definitely on making fun and of kenny Yanni. g like together yes. had to be because there's that moment when they're looking at his music video and uh, like the yeah. vikings are dying he's like uh, i don't think that guy's enjoying the music does he look like he <laughs> likes the music and he's got his, his ears covered dying thing. on the ground yeah i loved it man so uh, John Corbett's character, his name's Lars, and that's his uh, music name too. He's a little over the top, but He's got soft eyes, man, soft eyes. But Easy very quickly, we get to see that both of these characters are in love with these people that they're getting married to, and so we've had the first twenty minutes setting up this very uh, romantic sense of like, man, I hope they get back together, and then it's thwarted, and it's not easy for the audience to be like. I don't like. I don't dislike these characters, and yeah. I don't remember the first time that I saw this movie. But I didn't dislike. I'm sure I didn't dislike them, but I thought there was going to be something that made me dislike them, and it never happens in this movie. Spoiler alert: There's nothing that Bridget Moynihan or Lars really do that's like, oh man, she needs to leave him right away, or he needs to. Yeah, get nothing out bad of here. enough. I mean, they do little things, yeah. but some of the stuff they do is very endearing. So like. But as far as Lars go, or whatever his name, I yeah. forget his name, the Yanni character, he's, I mean, there is a part where he's very selfish about his tour and like, oh, well, you yeah. can just put your date back. So that was kind of a douchebag move, but everybody's done something stupid like that in a relationship. And then 
He amends for it later, though. He realizes he was being a, a jackass, and he, which is a good term for anybody out here. Yeah. Because um, that's where it centers around. Don't we all want to be jackasses for our loved ones? Yeah, right. This is a, like you said, this is a tough movie to uh, dissect when it comes to, is this really the right thing that should be happening? I, I think the, the part that wins me over is that it's clear that these two people aren't the people that the main characters are supposed to be with. They're clearly supposed to be with one another and they've sort of, uh, they've, they've settled, uh, for a a lesser version of what those guys were. Because if you think about it, uh, remember that say lesser, man, think about lesser. Okay. Maybe not lesser, but different people deviation on paper. They should match up. Well, yes, that's what it is. And that's what I think you're getting at. The heart of it is, you don't get to choose who you fall in love with. It's not something that you're like, oh, you have to check mark these things and that's who I'm going to love. And that's kind of what they did with the partner they're with. They got yeah. everything that anybody would check mark, you know, that they're successful, they're ambitious, they're loving, they're all these things, beautiful, good looking, whatever. And they're in love with somebody else. And it's, you can't explain love. I mean, you might want to be with this person because they check mark everything, but is the love real? Is it there? And you can't. You can't choose that. I think that's what they were trying to say. I think they weren't trying to um, make their other partners villainous and make it easy on us, which I kind of appreciate that they made it more real. Like, Well, there were parts where my wife turned to me and she's like, I don't like these characters anymore. My wife said that as well. She said that mainly about... uh, John Cusack's character. She's like, what's wrong with the woman he's with? Yeah. Like, she's super nice. Yeah, and she's totally, totally intuitive. She's into as well. him as well, and and she's well. Okay, so there are a couple scenes. They there's have a, a couple scene. Of fights, yeah. No, there's a scene where John Cusack gets a haircut, and he actually is Thank sitting God. in the chair. No, he's sitting in the chair to get a haircut, and the haircut uh, girl. Okay, oh, so yes. let's backtrack just a little bit. Yes, let's go back because here's the thing about. Oh, that's another thing. It's John important. Cusack's ca- haircut in the beginning is atrocious, bro. It is, yeah. I was like, is this going to be the whole way this of the is movie? Like n- late 90s. Oh, no, it was bad. It was like a mullet, but not quite. It was yeah. like, what's going on here, dude? It gets better. His, his haircut in the last scene, primo, man. Oh, Top of his the haircuts, line. it got better. And I was like, thank you, Jesus, <laughs> that his hair changed. Because the kid that, that looks up the uh, the name, he's he has the same haircut as John Cusack's character yeah, in the, the beginning. The, if the you kid who reminds me a lot of the John Sally character in Bad Boys who types up the stuff and looks for... Uh, <laughs> yes. for, for the, yeah, he's, <laughs> he's just basically that guy. Yeah. So, okay, uh, we are introduced to the fact that both of these characters are getting married in short period of time. So we're like, okay, now well, where's she this just got go? engaged to? They're getting married in like three in or four three days. days. It's different. But Jonathan's character is getting married. But now the serendipitous effect sort of starts hitting both of them, and they start getting reminders of that lost love that they had yeah. that one night in New York. And it's be, it becomes sort of overwhelming to the point where at least Last John shot. Cusack's character, uh, it triggers in him that, okay, I, I've got to seek this out. There's this memorable... Um, this memorable dialogue scene with him and the Jeremy Piven character where Jeremy Piven's like, why are you doing this? Why are you sort of obsessed with all this? You've got everything is great with, um, what's her name? Bridget Moynihan's character? Tom uh, Brady's baby mama. Let's yeah, just say Tom that. Brady's baby mama. <laughs> so anyways, everything is great with her. Why are you risk putting it all on the line? And then he compares the girls to Godfather 2 and Godfather 1. He's yeah. like, 
as good as the Godfather Two is, you can't really just jump into it and make sure and and say that it's the best one without seeing the Godfather One again. It's true, but number two is the best, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, it was the, fair, best, it was the best one. Vito Corleone, best yeah. one, bro. <laughs> yeah, it's Corleone, not Corleone, like Drake would think uh, would have <laughs> you say. But uh, yeah, so John Cusack's last hurrah, and he brings. Uh, a barrage of supporting characters along with him. This is where we get to meet Eugene Levy because he plays a guy at a department store who may have access to Kate Beckinsale's credit card records. But he's got to make his quota, bro. Yeah, he does. That was a funny scene. Uh, <laughs> Those purple boots. Yo, but- <laughs> Cusack's got some dough to spend, too. Like he, he you, know laid- what, you know what my wife said after he's dressed in that purple tuxedo? Yeah. She's like, you know, today he would actually look acceptable on the red carpet oh, when yeah, you think about sure. it. What, what, uh, but back then, it was totally ridiculous. Was I a, mean, yeah, it was a little was, extreme. He's like the third, the third per- person to the Dumb and Dumberer, like Aqua yeah. uh, Sherbert. Yeah, when orange, they walk and in, he's got the, the deep purple. Yeah, <laughs> and with the ruffles on. And he buys it. It's like seven, eight hundred bucks. He's spending on all. that Well, he's stuff. forced to buy it because uh, Eugene Levy uses some leverage with him and says, "You mm. want, you want what I got? Okay." And that's a really <laughs> funny scene. Capitalism at its finest, yeah. folks. And. Um, Eventually, that turns into a hunt for some address records at like the department store's account records place. And then Jeremy Piven's character there uh, is with Eugene Levy's as well and John Cusack. And they have this bonding moment where this is that moment where those those two guys, they're in on it, too. They're, they're like, oh, man, there is something to this. And we're mm-hmm. actually putting the mystery back together again because Cusack's character is obsessed with just seeing Sarah for one more time uh, before he gets married to make sure there's no sparks still there that he needs to so many laws are broken during this movie yeah. man when you think these this is exactly why these laws exist because this guy could have been a crazy stalker guy or yeah. an ex-husband Absolutely. or wife or, or, a restraining ex- order <laughs> Yes, dude. At any moment in time, it could fall on, on uh, Mr. Traeger. Yeah. They're looking for that credit card receipt back in the stocks. Like, I mean, come on, man. It's years. I, I think the, even the bank establishments only keep them for six months, and then it's shipped off and here. It's gone. The paper somewhere Times else. Times were different in 01, yeah. bro. I mean, I've been to that Macy's. Or wait, it's a Bloomingdale's, it's a actually. Bloomingdale's. Yeah, it's a Bloomingdale's. So. You've got a history with New York City. A lot of these scenes in this movie you were telling me, yeah. you remember exactly. So, yeah, we skipped that. Um, part because it opens up with John Cusack, right? Where he's yeah. at the um, Chelsea Piers um, golfing range, and yeah. so that's that's why it's nostalgic for me because I grew up um, playing in that uh, area, it's like a actually. top golf style. Yeah, it was top golf before top golf existed. Yeah. It was way back when, man. It was the only one I had ever seen in my life. So um, I used to play roller hockey like right across the pier on the other pier. If you're looking out the golf course, it's on the right. On the left-hand side, there's, like, gymnasiums, and there was people um, doing stuff for, like, uh, gymnastics, like training for the Olympics and stuff, and then they had ice rinks. And then um, I actually went – I was in a roller hockey camp there Uh, because of Mighty Ducks. We'll have to go over those, too. Yeah, I wanted to be in hockey, We'll do a best hockey movies of all time at some point. Um, But, yeah, man, I spent a good amount of my summers there. It was really expensive to go to that camp, and my mom and my stepdad uh, sent me there, and – so um, an endearing movie for a sentimental movie for you for other reasons outside man. of the story itself. Yeah, it was the first time I had ever seen places that I've been in a movie, so yeah. I was super excited about it. Um, and you know, every Friday they used to take us to the uh, Statue of Liberty on a cruise liner, oh, like wow. on a ship. 
and we would eat like taking advantage. See, that's the things that folks who've never lived in New York like they go there to do once, and and it's the time of their lives. And uh, I, I always wish. We had that sort of environment here in in the DFW area, but yeah, there ain't much. All we here. got is the president's death. And yeah, you know, right. You want to go see? Fort Worth yeah, <laughs> the grassy green knoll every week. Go go for it. No, but man. Uh, yeah, they got the Holocaust Museum. That's another yeah, happy got, uh, place to go. Dallas is just blooming now with all these uh, uplifting scenic. <laughs> One day we'll get some real history, but uh, past not that, right now. Yeah. yeah, not right now. So all, all of this back to serendipity. It's all a chase to to. Find out where Sarah Thomas is. And, you know, in a weird way, all of this forcing the issue does not work in John Cusack's favor at all. Uh, it, it's it's He's always like one step behind one step or too behind. early or yep. something of that sort. And, you know, I think it is endearing, though, like the way it, it all works out. It's a very it's very comical how it yeah. all it kind of a little frustrating, too, because you like you want you kind of do want these characters to get together. But it's just so like, oh, they just missed them. And you should yeah. expect that, but it still kind of irks the, you. The like, timing is is off still. The alignment of of them getting together is off. And I tell my wife this all the time because this is why serendipity now retroactively uh, has accrued much more meaning than the, the dopey 18-year-old who wanted to feel something like that. I'm 36 now, so double my age from when this movie came out. And uh, I married happily with the child, and now I can retroactively look at all the pieces of my life that were strategically part of my life that needed to occur for that meeting of my wife. Like, all of the moving to and from, me getting into the hotel industry, which... If that doesn't happen, I'm not intrigued in in moving from hotels to a more tech support role, and uh, then getting a job at a tech landing a job at a tech support place where I met my wife. Like all these little intricacies that needed to occur for me to be exactly where I am at this moment in life with her and in love, they I can't I can't take full responsibility for them. I and that's a good feeling. It's, it's like. It's okay. I'll meet you halfway, universe. So steer steer the wheel, but let me pump the brakes every once in a while uh, so I can sort of get a grasp as to where I'm at on the road. But you've got the wheel. Go for it. And that's a beautiful feeling when you sort of let yourself go to something like that. And that's what they do at the beginning, arguably, is they, they cut up pieces of paper and they say, if we're meant to be together, we will be. There's the old adage, if you love something, let it go. If it comes back to you, it's yours. If it doesn't, it never was. So a lot of that is embedded in the fabric of this film. And th- that makes my heart swell up and this is where I'll get vulnerable with it. Like it's, it's, it's fun to see all of the major things in your life that bring a, a sense of, of goodness into your being and study how, how those occurred in the, in, in the first place. Uh, oh. because there are, yeah, it's, it humbles it's intriguing. you. Yeah, it's for sure. Like, it's that whole time travel thing. If you would have went back in time and crushed a butterfly on accident, it's, oh, it's all done. It's the yeah. chaos, the butterfly effect, The grandfather effect, man. paradox. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're right. Like, any little thing could have deviated from the plan, yep. really. If any one little thing could have happened, it could have very much been, what if you married somebody else? Yeah. But, but I wonder, will the universe conspire to have it happen anyways? Yeah. Is that's, it inevitable? Yeah. I mean, even if you change things, maybe it would have happened some other way. Maybe we'll get to that in July when we go see Christopher Nolan's Tenet movie, Ooh. which appears to be all about retro causation and time and time moving front and back simultaneously 
because it's yeah anyway i can deep dive a two minute teaser trailer but back to uh serendipity so yeah it is uh it's all about fate at the end of the day and what people are willing to do to align themselves with that um and while all this is going on with john cusack's character to a certain degree it's occurring with uh kate beckinsale's character as well she's looking at $5 bills differently a little bit now that the pressure of being engaged to a man that she's in love with, but it's triggering the memories of, of, uh, maybe, a give me a higher love. Yeah. Maybe the higher love that she experienced with John Cusack in that short period of time is intriguing her enough. So she goes on her own path of settling this once and for all. And she brings in her buddy, which is played by Molly Shannon, who's more well known as the uh, superstar. Superstar. Uh, I don't know if the kids will remember her, like the younger kids from us, because yeah. we went through the superstar, like SNL superstardom age. of yep. Molly Shannon, that brief, like shining star, and that then she arguably kind of spawned out. Kristen Wiig's entire personality. Uh, I think a lot of people. Um, actually have to give her credit for starting even like tina fey and all them tina fey Kristen wig amy poehler uh Mm -hmm. before all of that molly shannon was around and was a big deal open man yeah all because of the armpit sniffing yeah that was like the main preview man but she's got this quirkiness this like um excitability like uh she's very awkward and you can tell and i almost feel like that's probably how she is in real life because it's very um, real the way she's acting like that it seems almost like reflex you know yeah. um, maybe a little exaggerated but I think it's probably it spurs from something inside of her because a lot of her characters have that kind of uh, um, that twitchiness you know yeah. that um, awkwardness that's trying to get through that moment to get to the next one so Agreed. she definitely plays that even though she's working in this like crystal candle lighting you know new agey that's what we used to call it back in the days new agey in 2001 <laughs> yeah i don't know what we call it nowadays it's like everywhere present I guess, but, yeah but it was new agey <laughs> and uh you know she's even talking smack about that chick that's gonna buy the candle and she's like oh I, the lady the in the, the window lover. yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely the way she looks down on them and stuff but yeah, she gets her involved. Both of they have that's another they thing. Have they their both best have friend. good friends, a support system that um even though Kate Beckinsale's character does kind of uh, trick her best friend to go in by yeah. using her birthday as oh I got these so tickets. She, it's important to note yeah. she lives in San Francisco. He lives in New York at this time. So thought, they're on opposite. Is coasts. it San Francisco? Yeah, it is San Francisco. Okay. All right. Yep. I was wondering where it was. Yep. Um so that's they, why they went with the new AG. They live on opposite coasts and the story is basically uh they're concurrent. Like they're both trying to hunt each other down and they're both missing some key parts of that mystery and that scavenger hunt but uh the addition of their friends and the support system plays a big role in it because it gives them even more invigoration and then we start seeing the first semblance of maybe uh maybe the people that they are engaged aren't the right people for them because at first it's like man it's kind of screwed up that they're just this guy's getting married and he's more focused on finding kate beckinsale but but then there's that scene where he's getting a haircut and the hairdresser's name is sarah and he says i just can't do this i'm getting i'm getting out of here right now and then he goes home to Bridget Moynihan and she says nice haircut and that was the scene for me that made me stop feeling bad for her uh, for Bridget Moynihan's character because and again she 
when you're in love with someone, you notice uh, little things, and you, you, you know, our wives are, will tell us this all, or they won't tell us, but they want us to notice when they got their hair done, when they got their nails done, and over time, we we learn to notice those things because we know that it's important to to notice when little changes from your significant other are had, and when he. When he registers the fact that, hey, I didn't get a haircut and she thinks I did, I think that's the moment in time where, where he is set on reuniting with Kate Beckinsale's character and he knows what path he's going to be on. And I I don't know necessarily, because I'm not a woman, when that moment happened for Kate Beckinsale. But I think... It was the tour a, moment when he put his own needs above her, like the marriage didn't matter as much as his yeah. tour. I think that's when she felt like she needed to go and see this last thing. They both yeah. are taking this last shot to like this weird happiness. But, you know, I, and I want to go back to what you were saying because I find that... That little thing, because here's the difference, though. Talk about vulnerability. If, if the Bridget Moynihan's character, yeah. when she says, oh, nice haircut. I bet you that would not have bothered John Cusack's character if it had been coming from Kate Beckinsale's character. Because here's the real thing. It I doesn't, think it would have. It doesn't really matter. Um, it, it only matters who you're with. And they're going to mess up. They're going to not see your haircut. They're not, not, we're all human. And when you're with somebody for a long amount of time, sometimes you do take them for granted. It, and it's not because you don't love them. It's just because of your own faults. You yeah. can't always be in that burning Zone. romance. You'll burn yourself out. It, there's a, another love that takes into account that's real world love yeah. that's hard, that's, that's a teammate, that's, you know, you work towards things together and you're going to mess up because we're human. So that's why I say that, like, if it would have been Kate Beckinsale's character, it would not have even um, dawned on him. But because you're with the wrong person, those things will, yeah. will put you off. And that and that's where I think that sometimes that the movie uh, divulges from real life um, and it gets a little dangerous well, by teaching people that that just because somebody doesn't recognize your haircut this time doesn't mean that they don't love you with everything that they have. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so um, but okay. I get what they were trying to say. But uh, what, absolutely. I think that that's where the part where he's like, she doesn't know me. What you just said is very on par with what Jeremy Piven's character says in this movie because this whole time that his best friend's on this journey to rekindle his love, his true love, Jeremy Piven's going through the opposite. And Jeremy yeah. Piven's actually uh, married to someone he feels he's in love yeah. with, and he probably is, um, but, they are but they're separated. Yeah, they're portraying yeah. something as an image, and later on in the movie we find out that they're separated and yeah. that things are rocky at home. And then he explains why they're rocky at home. And Jeremy Piven says, because we lost what you have right now, which is that passion, mm -hmm. that drive, the the daily sort of burning desire to be with the person that you fell in love with and that, that brought yeah. that so together. There's not enough of this. And he there's not enough heart. of this. And he points at his heart. Yes. Yeah, man. There's some really memorable, like touching moments between those two. Yeah. I really want to get into Jeremy Piven's character, too, because yeah. another great thing about him is that he writes for the Times, but he yeah. writes for the obituaries <laughs> it's a very nice i loved it because that joke because becomes something so great in his character yeah, and in the way his perspective in life is the ending isn't the same yes. without that and i'm Nothing. getting chills thinking about the yes. ending now because uh, love we'll get and death to it. man yeah, we'll love and death it. are very close man and um because without love it's just nothing but death yeah. And so, and people say this is just a romantic dude, comedy. Man, that's no, Jeremy's Piven's character is so in touch with my character sometimes, and not like the the marriage thing. It's you know because for him, yeah, you can lose that burning passion. But um, there's things that I think about that 
you need, look, you can be in love with somebody and it not work out because you shouldn't be together. Yeah. You can also be not be in love with somebody and it work out okay, but it'll never be great. Right. But the thing is, if you have both of those things. It's magic. Yes. And that's why you need both of those. You need that burning desire at first. And then the most of the work needs to be this respect, admiration, caring, always being present. And then the world sort of builds But you need to rekindle that. that passion. Yes. You can't just let it go. You have to have it come in but sustain. you can't do it you can't sustain that love all the it's time so 24/7 in you this can't. day and age it's impossible i go to work and for 8 hours a day all i think about is wanting to be back home and wanting to be with my family but i know that i i can't i literally physically cannot be over there but we talk to each other on the phone back and forth my wife sends me pictures uh, of my daughter and her advancements yeah. on a day-to-day basis and when i see that sort of uh it's a little disheartening at the same time, but it's also uplifting um, because I I feel like I, I have to see my daughter's life progressing through some some digital uh, photos very often, and like her life is existing, but I'm not there to see it all all yeah. come come to fruition. But at the same time, when I see my daughter's eyes and uh, all of the connections of why me and her mom met and how we met and how she's the result of our love, it all clicks for me. And there's no ifs, ands, or buts. There's there's not a singular doubt in my mind that everything has led up to that moment. And from this point forward, now is when you get into the cool, like creative, what can we do with this this love that yeah. we share with one another in this this family unit and i feel like you can experience that not only on a romantic level you can experience it with friends you can experience oh, yeah. it with jobs the, at the end of the day this is uh, it's about passion this movie is about That's following what, passion isn't that what he says like the greeks will ask you did he live with passion? Yes. That's what Jeremy Piven brings what it he in. Says. He says that like, and Forgot that's all that mattered that. to them is, yep. did he live with passion? It yep. doesn't matter about his achievements or any of that. That's all they wanted to know. And that's such a beautiful sentiment because the yes, world, all, you yeah. can't always burn with passion all the time. Like I said, it'll burn you up. That's why like a lot of the biggest rock stars died at 29 or something like this. You can be like a this, man you know? on fire, bro. You can. But the main thing is, is that you have to learn to be like, like like I said, like if you can be in love, I think a lot of people lose their first love because they're not responsible enough to take care of that love. Because it's not enough just to be in love in order to be in a healthy relationship. But it's a great and beautiful thing to be in a healthy relationship with somebody you love. It's like the most perfect thing. And even though there's going to be imperfect times, there's going to yeah. be times when you hate each other or when you're upset. It doesn't matter if you're the best of friends and you're in a room for a, a duration of time, you're going to fight mm-hmm. You know, at some point if it's like a long period. It's just going to happen. Two people don't think alike. Yeah. But you have to learn to fight. You have to yeah. learn to respect. You have to learn how to, to do these things your, with somebody. Pick your fights wisely yeah. so, and turn them, turn them into something more than just bickering back and forth. Yes. at one another but you have to have the reason the yeah. enough of this the heart you, gotta, you have to have that have first have this. Yep. and if you didn't have that if you just chose your partner based off of the check marks then it's those a, things are going to bother a, you too much well it's not yeah i still think you can turn that into something positive too because there are a lot of folks out there and you can sort of sense uh when they're with folks that that they've settled for uh because for whatever reasons expectations or what they're what their checklist was for a mate and uh okay i'm i'm 42 years old now and i'm still single okay let me and they've had their run-ins and cheating and adultery and all of this 
um, even for those folks, I, I think the universe still provides them endless opportunities to turn it around at every waking moment and it, really to make the right decisions and the choices. And that's that's why this movie, I, I get what our wife said, like, yeah, th- it's kind of shitty what's going on. It is. Uh, but at the same time, it's the universe saying you didn't really handle this properly the first go round. So we're going to keep on giving you these opportunities to piece it together. And if you're willing to put forth the effort and the drive and the passion to make it, to figure it all out, things are going to work out. And yes, in in love, uh, when you're talking about this sort of thing, again, it's a movie. So I don't know that anything like this has actually occurred. I don't know if like one guy in New York City fell in love with somebody living on the West Coast and uh, he left everything behind well, I mean, to the pursue thing is, this. Though, it really isn't this story really everybody. When you, if you, like, it's like the number 23. Once you fall in love and you're with your soulmate, you can look back and make connections. Yeah. Where the universe conspired for That's you to be That's what I'm together. doing. That's what yes. I'm doing here now when yeah. I think about it. Yeah. So it's all of us, really. And we all want this. This is what we want. We want the story. We want the romance. And, yeah. And I'm all for that. The love, man. The burning passion. That's why Jeremy Piven says when he's on that plane, he's like, you were such a jackass. And he's like... You know me. We've and been. That's living why that in, last scene yeah. so much more poignant. But he says, "Don't we all want to be a jackass? You're my hero. I yeah. want to be a jackass." And then, you know, in the end, I'm going to just say that Jeremy Piven he has this rekindled fire to get back his love of his life, yeah. because I mean, that's the thing, man. If she's the love of your life and you realize that, you have to keep the passion. At some points, you can't just let it go. There has to be times when you do go out on dates, when you do do those things, because it has to be there to begin with. And that's what we're saying about these two characters is that, honestly, I don't think they felt like that for their characters and they realize that but this is they're just going through it because this is what they're supposed to be doing yeah this is a successful relationship it's a healthy relationship but it's not love and i think that's where it comes into play um personally yes i i agree fully i i think both of these characters are fall in again i i don't want to speak for the the masses out there but they fall in the majority of folks who basically settle for what they eventually can can get and uh that's i don't know man it it w- the biggest fish in the pond basically like they get the best that they can yeah like, if, in if the you, room if you look at the way that the world works right now you could make an argument for the fact that uh you know creativity and the lack of of the lack of moxie and gusto in people in general may have a lot to do with the lack of love in people's lives and something to be passionate about because normal life has taken its toll so much on on these folks that they've they've sort of conceded to the fight they they they're they're done putting that effort towards something that they that drove them at some point yeah well, i don't know what that feels like but they're they're trying to get you know, these characters don't feel that either. I don't, I don't think they feel the humdrum of life. I just think in their relationships they're feeling. Because we don't really even know what these two characters really do. do. <laughs> yeah. They don't really have jobs. And that yeah. is, isn't that always convenient? That, yeah. They don't have a job to get in the way Yeah, of. like uh, Kate Beckinsale's character has five grand to spend on cross-country tickets. Yeah, their best their friends best have jobs. Friends, their best friends have to up and leave jobs uh, on a whim How to join selfish. them on these journeys. But yeah, now that you mention it. We don't know what the hell John Cusack does, but he lives in a nice uptown apartment in New York City. Yeah. New York City. Yeah. Pay- he gets his haircut that he can just run out on. Yeah, absolutely. Once I pay for a haircut, it's going to happen. 
That's yeah, what I'm saying. That's like a $40 haircut in New York, too. Yeah, no, nah, much more. I, I spend $70 on my haircut, and that's here in, in Texas. New, oh, really? Yeah. Well, my hair is long, so. Yeah, I have none. It's a woman's haircut. I so. say I, I spend $0 on haircuts. Well, think about this, man. I could get a haircut every two weeks if I had short hair, and it's going to be like, what, 15 bucks, $20? Or I can get a haircut every three to six months gotta, and have long gotta hair. Got to take care of those luscious locks, Philip. Yeah. No matter how bad, look, the way I see it is, no matter how bad, like how good you look in clothes, if your hair looks like shit, it doesn't matter. You got to get a good haircut. Dang. Life lesson right there. Yeah, because it's a part of you, man. Only on the film room. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, let's get back to serendipity. So let's, let's reinsert where we are in the story here. So yes. both of these characters on opposite coasts of the United States now have their best friends in on this journey to rekindle the love they shared with someone several years ago. Yeah. And they find the receipt and the receipt leads back to the painter. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. French guy. His name. Mignon. Mignon. Yeah. Because he keeps not, saying not that and he's like Minion. He yeah, calls him Minion. He's it's like Mignon. Like Mignon. Like, oh, first like he goes. Meat. He goes to the kid to look up the records, and he does. He's like, "No, it's against the law." And then he's like, "Tell him, man. Tell him why you should do it." And Jeremy Piven's character is like, "Do you? It's for people a like you, pimply faced yeah. kids that are digital plantation owners Another that are like great <laughs> memorable <laughs> dialogue yes, from Jeremy Piven." It was, and then he's like, "John Cusack, I think, is really impressed because he's like." Wow, because <laughs> he keeps going. It's like it's almost like it wasn't written in the script. Like there's a first part and then there's a whole second part. Yeah. He takes a breath and goes to the second one, and I'm just like, yeah. And even the kids jazzed up. He's like, yeah, yeah. Both of these guys got uh, history and <laughs> improv. There's actually a lot of scenes that Cusack was part of. Uh, learned this from the director's commentary where improv was involved, like that opening scene where he kicks the snow uh, because he misses Kate Beckinsale. Um, in the very oh, opening, like, sorry, scene. sorry, he kicks the snow and he runs after him. And says sorry, sorry, all improv. So yeah, it's a little quirky, about that. little quirky bits like that. And I'm pretty Gives sure this flavor. Jeremy Piven uh, social commentary rant it is sounded completely like it. improv. I'm telling you, there's a moment where he takes a little bit of a breath and he kind of like he uh, kind of has like a little tick in his yeah. head, and then he goes into the second gear, and that second part is the best part. Yeah, and I really think that's improvised. It's it like a be. mini network uh, scene, uh, that infamous scene from Network. It's like a very short, condensed version of that. Great stuff. Um, yeah, that was like when I was listen, watching that, I was like, yeah, that's totally Sasha right there. Oh, that's man. That's how he feels. That's how I feel, too. But I was like, that's Sasha. I have a whole show dedicated to <laughs> two-hour dialogues like that. So, yeah, that is how I feel. Um, and when I when I saw that, I, I couldn't help but smile because, uh, yeah, that's, that's a so true. great scene. Yep. So, and it's a generational conversation too that we got to have on meandering at some point. We're both from the same generation. I think we both feel the same way. We were just talking about it. Uh, the fact that old folks just don't go away anymore. <laughs> they just, <laughs> they're sticking around. They're well, we're like sticking on an iceberg and send them out. Yeah. Some cultures. On, some cultures go to extremes. Have you seen Midsommar? They. They. No, uh, I haven't seen it. All right. Not yeah. yet. You, we talked about this last one too. It's but. crazy. Well. Uh, okay. Yeah. We'll get. Sarah, back we'll get back to serendipity. Midsommar. We got to keep it day. focused, guys. But long story short, some cultures get rid of their old folks the hard way. So, so, you know, we should be uh, fortunate that we don't do that to people. Oh, they put them in nursing homes? No. (laughs) Is that the hard way? (laughs) Seems like it. (laughs) Anyway, it's expensive. Yeah, it is expensive as shit. But anyways, um, serendipity. Where are we at again? Well, that's exactly where I'm at. Mignon. So they get back to the French painter. Mignon. Mignon. Who lived with Kate Beckinsale for a short stint. Who sat on him. Uh, Yeah, who sat on him, but what that means is that he is a painter and um, he sat for her. Exactly. That's what I said. Yes. <laughs> anyway, I don't know if uh, that was Russian or French or what it it's was. Fresh. A hybrid. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Russian. I call it French. <laughs> Slapping the bus. 
So they get a little bit. Do they get anything from Mignot? Yeah, so he well kind of yes, yeah, so so he's like, Oh, he sat for me. It's like, you want to see the picture? Like, yeah, and he brings it out and it's like a Picasso esque, like kind of messed up picture of her. And he's like, Oh, but uh she went from the roommate service, it was at oh, the, yeah, next to that, that beautiful little shop, uh, serendipity. Yeah. So yes. they run they run out very cartoon like. They're like, you know, I love that run. Like this is the part of the movie where I'm just yeah, this is a lot of fun. And I wouldn't want to do it in a romantic sort of setting, like trying to hunt down a, a lost love or anything like that. But scavenger hunts have always appealed to me and like oh, going yeah. from spot to spot to spot. This little 30 to 45 minute window, well, let me actually step away from, from that conversation. This whole movie moves very quickly. Mm-hmm. It's an hour and 36 minutes, something like that. But before you blink, the the exposition and, and the conclusion, everything in the middle makes it move so fluidly and so yeah quickly which is uh, because there's a lot of jazz in this soundtrack it's very new york seems to be very like louis armstrong jazz um especially like if you got like you've got mail and all these other movies that deal with that but um i find it very eclectic because the rest of the soundtrack even though some of half of it's jazz the other half is like this 2000 like uh like r&b popish kind of music that you would not expect to like put in with old school jazz and it's like i'm like huh it's very eclectic i don't know if and it kind of you don't really notice it maybe in 2001 but i noticed it this time around because i was like wow that's a very 2000-ish that's what the film room would do to you you'll start paying attention to stuff that you weren't trying to pay attention to very weird kind of mixture of music in this movie that i don't I don't have any complaints about it, yeah. but it's just strange. The the mixture. You would never mix like two thousands ish R and B pop with old school twenties and thirties jazz. jazz. Like what? Yeah. Okay. I mean who pitched that in the room? <laughs> Who's like, hey, this is what we're gonna do. Okay, we're gonna pull off this major heist, and it's gonna be with jazz and uh, Brittany, uh, Christina Aguilera. What a girl wants. So that's what we're gonna put in there. Like, what? It, it is. Uh, it is It'll a very diverse mix, and maybe that's because Kate Beckinsale's character and John Cusack's character are very different people. So maybe I'll have to watch this again at some point and see if the music changes when we go to the Beckinsale storyline versus the Cusack storyline, and if that's what it, the it contrast exists. So during the scavenger hunt, there's a lot of jazz going oh, on. Oh yeah, that's it's right. Very quick editing. They're yeah. like running. It's very. It's got a lot of movement. I yes. love the movement of it. Um, uh, with when it comes to the R and B songs, it's the ones like when he's proposing to her, or when there's like these romantic parts. They come in with that. Mm-hmm. So um, and with a little bit of a musical score too, I believe, in um, in between that kind of cohesively glues it all together. I feel. Um, but yeah, I really lo- enjoy that. And that scene when they run out, that's when it starts like, yeah, it's very frantic, like piano line. Yeah. So they go to serendipity and then that's when he gives up cause he sees the bride shop above it. He's like, Oh, this is a sign, you know, I'm, yep. it's done. Oh, and before that, there's another scene where a Dalmatian dog is ah, walking up. Shout out to 101 yeah. Dalmatians because mm-hmm. that's a very serendipitous movie as well as far <laughs> as the meeting of uh, Pongo. And uh, yeah, it, it's very, it's cute. But that They're Dalmatian still... is in both of their scenes. No, but it the... crosses. No, that's when uh, they're in the same city. We're not there yet. Oh, okay. Yeah, we're not quite there. I thought we were there yet. No, let's rewind the tape a little bit. uh, Because we alluded to it, uh, Kate Beckinsale takes advantage of Molly Shannon's friendship. And while all this scavenger hunt stuff's going on with Jeremy Piven and John Cusack, (laughs) it's somewhat going on on the West Coast, but in a more less intense way. Uh, she knows where she needs to go. 
Uh, John Cusack has no idea where he needs to go to find Kate Beckinsale. He has no idea where she lives. But she knows that Jonathan Traeger is still in New York City, or at least she has a good feeling for yeah. it. So she buys some plane tickets, and she tells Lars that she's just going to get away for the weekend because all of the pressure of uh, his schedule and his music and all that that she's sort of living as a bystander to, it's getting to her, and she just needs a breath of fresh air. She brings Molly Shannon along, as if it's like a girl's retreat and a fun weekend trip with her friend, and she's all for it. But once they get there, as soon as they get to New York, um, they hop in a taxi cab, and she, and Kate Beckinsale is asked by the taxi driver, where do you want to go? And she says, anywhere in New York. That's you not how this works, lady. She's trying to reenact serendipity and fate as far as uh, the story goes. And then Molly Shannon's character. Yeah, a little weird, a little obsessive. (laughs) And uh, again, if you did that sort of stuff today, you'd be looked at auspiciously. But uh, Molly Shannon figures out what's going on. She threatens to walk out. But long story short. Well, because she's feeling used. Like she thought this was about her birthday and her going before she gets married, like a last girl's thing. And come to find out, you're using this as an ulterior motive to go find this dude. Still, still a kind of shitty person at this point. Yes, and it's probably also Molly Shannon's character probably would have fit in right with the Yanni character. I mean, they're both working in the same new agey space. They could have worked that, and we'll get to that when I give probably my only complaint. My only complaint of this film is that there's no resolution for the people that uh, get left behind in this. Uh, But we'll get to that when we get to the ending. Yeah. So uh, the interesting part is that they end up at the Waldorf uh, Astoria and uh, where all of this began of course and there is a wedding reception happening and it's or not a wedding reception a rehearsal occurring mm-hmm. and before that Molly Shannon runs across Bridget Moynihan's character and this is where we know as the audience, uh, I don't know what this term is, when the audience knows something that the characters within the film do not, because Kate Beckinsale has no idea who Bridget Moynihan's getting married. Mm-hmm. If she did, then she would be like, holy crap, serendipity. But we know as the audience that it's all serendipitous. Molly Shannon and Bridget Moynihan are best friends, or old she was friends. The RA. Yeah, old she friends was the RA. in college, and they know each other. And Bridget invites Molly's character, almost invites uh, Kate Beckinsale's character to her wedding rehearsal, which is with John Cusack. And she's like lesbian lover. Yeah, there we go into the we get into the Molly <laughs> oh, Shannon man. mode because uh, these two girls are dressed, you know, uh, very winter like, and they look like they could pass off as partners. And the parents of Bridget Moynihan and say you can bring your partner as well yeah. if you'd like and, and then they, they look at each other ha 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 yeah. and then they get in the elevator and she says ah have see a, you later see you later my lesbian, lesbian lady lover. Lover. <laughs> yeah she says it anyway and then she's like oh just kidding it's a joke between us you know yeah, right. like really quick that's but. that is essential molly shannon in that in that scene right there that's basically what she made her livelihood from on saturday night live and yeah she's uh she's Kinda a really miss great her, supporting man. actress I hope she comes there. back she needs to come back like in a Quentin film, you know, like back like yeah. that, like hard, like a John a Travolta. opposite role. Yeah. yeah. I bet you she, you know, most comedians give some of the best like dramatic performances, I feel. Yeah. Um, they just have a well of deep, you know, because I think a lot of clone, clowns up. have 
or hurt a lot. You know, it can be. They bring well, happiness because they don't want to be talk unhappy. Talk about the best clown movie in the last 10 years. And you, yeah. it's hard to talk about, not talk about the Joker. And Patch the director Adams? of that is, yeah, Patch <laughs> Adams is great. But that was in 96. Rest uh, in peace, Robin Williams. Yes. But I always think of Robin Williams as when I think of, you know, that hurt clown that brings Death happiness to others. <laughs> no, not this, but just his real life, you know, when yeah. you think about it. So yeah. um, anyways, this movie, um, I, I see Molly Shannon, she could come back. I wish she would. Yeah. And yeah, you're right. This whole little thing. And it's always like you're missing it. Like, oh, she missed. Uh, he he could have been yeah. there and they would have seen each other and it would have been crazy. But it would have been a disaster if they met there. Yes. So all of this. Works. It would have been. It works in their favor, of course, uh, regardless of the rest of the world around them being drug along with it. But it yeah. still works in and their favor. She, when she leaves and she goes to her apartment, she's sees her uh fiance lying on the on the hallway floor waiting for her yes and it's i feel like it's because he wanted to make amends it, but the thing is is that when he makes the amends later on you see that he's on the phone again and, yeah and she's always going to come second but at that point i'm like dude the, the, well there you it's go his that's livelihood the yeah fair come enough. on man it's like he's doing it for it but for the sake of the movie it must have been really damn hard for the writers to work in like why are these people getting left like why are we have to do something they, honestly because if she would have been in love with him like really in love love you can endure something like that sure it's absolutely. understandable like yeah. all the stuff that's happening it's not enough to really bro I'm, break I'm, up i'm here really six hours every two weeks and i drive across town and i have to explain to my wife like we're not making any any dough off of this i'm going be thank you so much for letting me go i appreciate it and yeah that uh that's very it's a lot of understanding very honorable you see what i'm understanding. saying understanding yeah absolutely. so that, that's why if it depends if you're in love with somebody how much you can endure for the goodness of the relationship because you have to think of the other person too. Yeah. And so I just think she feels, you know, that it's not going to change and she doesn't want to be there. But I want to talk about this funny thing that I thought of the other day. When Can you imagine when they get together, they find out that they're both unemployed and that they're not going to be able to survive. And then you have Lars <laughs> who becomes successful too. as Yanni. He's rich because obviously it looks like Jonathan Traeger's wife comes from a rich family. Yeah. It seems that way that oh, yeah. they... They're classy. They have a lot of money. They're getting married in the Waldorf Astoria. You know, I mean, yeah, all these things. Sure. So, like, both of their partners probably have the last laugh because they become successful. So. And yeah, these absolutely. two are like, what do we know about them? They yeah. don't do anything. They were moochers, as far as I'm concerned. The most heartwarming scene that almost brought a tear to my eye uh, occurs next. I think I may have actually shed a tear when I originally saw this. I've only cried in like a handful of movies in my life. Don't, and one of them's Man on Fire. Everybody cries in Man on Fire. Man on Fire. Um, but uh, the scene where Bridget Moynihan gives him, uh, John Cusack, the gift before uh, the wedding yes. night, that was emotional for several reasons. Because she the knew gift, something was up, too. Yeah. She pulls him aside like, hey, you haven't been around. Like, yeah. you really, and he's like, what are you talking about? I have. I've been here. No, you haven't been this here. This is after the wedding rehearsal that Molly Shannon was attending. Even the preacher had to say, this is where you look at your wife, because he's looking he's, everywhere he's but out his of wife. Yeah, he's out of sync with what's going on he, in front of him. He's feeling guilty, I think, at this point, because he really went full hard to look for this lady. Yep. And um, this woman is obviously supportive. I mean, yes, they kind of like infer that they've had fights because when they're looking at Jeremy Piven's character, they're like, oh, they're so perfect together, you know? Yeah. Because um, they're talking about fights. Do you think they'll ever match their romanticism? Yeah. And yeah. then she's like, well, they never make up sex or whatever. They had to make this joke. But anyways, everybody fights, so it's no big deal to me. But when she gives in the time present, In a time of cholera, which is the book that Sarah signed and wrote her number on when they originally met and sold to a bookstore, 
she explains as well, I always see you looking for this book whenever we're out and you never end up buying it. So I just decided That's what you to want from your partner, get right it there. for you. And she gets the copy that Sarah wrote her name and number on. And man, oh man. And at the same time uh, that this is happening, uh, Kate Beckinsale's character is going through it with uh, her fiance, I guess. Because what happens is that very quickly and very rashly, um, Cusack decides that I'm going to get on an airplane and I'm going to fly out to San... What gives him the final clue that she's in San Francisco? Oh, the number. Well, yeah, he, the phone number. They get the number and he gives it to Jeremy Piven because they're going to go to their bachelor yes. party. And he's like, look it up. And Perry, uh, Piven's character works for the obituary so he can get information on anybody from the time New York Times. Yeah, anywhere. And it's, that's how they go and they fly over there. And that's when he gives them like, you're such a jackass, man. Yep. And you know he's like, but everybody wants to be a jackass. And yeah. it's true. Uh, it doesn't matter like how much guys um, will Don't project to their other friends or whatever. They're like, oh, yeah, I get with this. We're all looking for that thing that yeah, makes bro. us feel alive, like that yeah. makes us validate who we are, you know? It, it makes me regret not having those sorts of conversations at a younger age. But in a weird way, it's endearing to look back and see how chiseled and stone-hearted you were when you were 16, 17. I don't think we really were. We were just kind of trying to project what we thought a man should be. Yeah, fair enough. And that's what, and, it, and it's, um, it's misguided a lot of times because we have this, like... I don't know. It's I don't know what it is with the guys, but machismo, we feel, sir. That's I, all. It I guess is. what it is. I guess that's the word for it. But I feel like it's we all feel the same way. We all want to be with a good woman that yeah. takes care of us, that has our best interests, that we have a connection, that we love. We all truly like. We want that, and it's just a lot of us don't realize that until maybe it's too late or we're much older um but i i always knew that when i was younger but i lost it in my young teen uh, 20s and then i got it back again so um it's just because of stuff that happened but this movie though it does touch our hearts because we want to believe in magic and in in a sort of magic not just any magic not like in a precise i mean i want to be a wizard sometimes but maybe um but how many people went and probably read this book, Love in the Time of Cholera, because, because of this, of this movie. movie? Because actually, I'm a big fan of Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Um, he he wrote, wrote one of my favorite books, which is 100 Years of Solitude. It's mm. actually one of my favorite books of all time, top five. And Love in the Time of Cholera, you know, I read it. I wasn't really into it. Maybe I should give it another go. But I read it because of this movie, and I was like, eh. Moving on. It's all right. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't, but it's a big book for most people. And um, it, it was another device to keep it moving, I guess. And it is kind of like a bittersweet moment for him when he finds yeah. that number in the book because it's like he realizes this how is good it. this woman Decision is. time. Because she did realize something small about him that he never explained time, to him. At the same time, you're, the lady that you're getting married to tomorrow is furnishing you with the last step that you need to complete your mission. But it's the thing is, it's the betrayal. Yeah. That's what it fe- you're feeling for John Cusack's character. I think that's what he feels guilty about because she just did a great thing. That, yeah, like, it's, a, it's regardless such a, of the book. an emotional moment where she's, she asks him, do you like it? And he says, it was perfect. I love it. Yeah. And it, it hurts, man, because you know what? She is a good person, man. I, yeah. I feel really bad for her character. But she ends up with Tom Brady, so who? No, were... she didn't. She had his baby. Oh, that's true. And, and they were Dang. broken up, so it, it didn't work out for her Tom <laughs> in any and of Giselle. the movies. Tom and Giselle were meant to be together. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, maybe she'll end up with Leo. Tom and Bill Leo DiCaprio. Were meant to, Tom and Bill were meant to be together, and they'll die together. <laughs> 
so, at the hands um, of the Bills. I like uh, Jeremy Piven's character a lot because he. He's all there's a part when still. they get to uh, San Francisco yeah. and they get to the house and he runs over there. So on the on the he evening wants it to happen of too. his wedding, on on the eve of his wedding, these guys get on an airplane once they find out where Sarah lives and they fly from New York to San Fran, which is like a seven hour flight. Uh, and there they are, and they're hunting down her address, and he is. Jeremy Piven is is the leader of like the anticipation at this point. He's like, I can't wait to see what's going on. Yeah, he wants it to happen so hard, man. That's a good friend. Yeah, somebody who's interested in your successes. Yeah, absolutely. And he's involved, man. He wants it. He it rekindles his own heart. But when he sees, so we skip the part where she has friends. She has and a they sister. Ask, That's a oh, sister. It's her sister, yeah. and they. They house it. Yeah, they're like twenty-year-old kids, hippie kids that are yeah. kind of like free love, and they're yeah, like sure. they're they're. Pevin sees them in the window getting it on. Pretty. He has no idea what yeah. Kate Beckinsale looks like. No, but she does look enough like from her the back that John Cusack's character also gets fooled into thinking, and and Jeremy Pevin's character like don't 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 see this. Like we can come back, give her a call. You know, and he's like, and he tries to hold on to his leg, and he's trying to protect his friend. That's like a true friend, and he falls over, and he sees her. And then there's that incredible uh, talk that they have, like really brief, where he tells her, tells him, maybe you're standing here because you don't want to be standing somewhere else. Yeah. And maybe it's not about this girl. It's about that, you know, this one just isn't the right one, even though she seems like it is. And you're yeah. going to look like a bastard going back on all this because you kind of are. And that's what he didn't want to do. He's just looking for permission to do what he already knew in his heart, what he needed to do. And he let it get this far. So. To me, that was an incredible brief line that was there, and sometimes it can be overlooked. They're lying on the grass. There's a lot of incredible dialogue in yes, this movie and that it gets overshadowed because Piven, dude. the shell of it is just a hapless romantic comedy for uh, you to take your, your date on or cuddle up with your, your wife on a cold December Eve. But there are intricate details in this movie that are talking about decisions and choices that we make outside of romantic decisions that we're continuously faced with like uh, day in day out and going one way or the other yeah. it's it's yeah it's crazy people live life this way and you know it, it is heartwarming though to see somebody follow through on something like that yeah on on a whim there's something about being a jackass for love that's endearing and I think that's where this movie is. And even all the jokes aside that I'm talking about, like the characters having no job and all this, that they're cheating on their lovers. They didn't really cheat on them, but they're... No. They're... There's no sex there's in this desire. Movie, which is, which Except is from good. the two kids that were... Oh, yeah. Getting it on. Getting it on while house-sitting. <laughs> yeah. And so they go home defeated. Yeah. Um... And but I, I think I've gotten some of my, I think it's kind of inception, incepted me, where like, you know, I have this seed of thought that I've always tried to reconcile, is is it is there fate, like predestination, or do I make my own way? Like, is, is there free will? You know, 50-50. One, so Started that's this where with I get 50, 50. So yeah. that's where I said, like, fate will get you so far. Yeah. It's up to you to make the choices, to make that the conscious when you're decisions. There, to make the most of the opportunity. And to notice, to take note that something's trying to work in your favor if you're willing to grab it by the horns and put forth 
a reciprocation that can be matched by the universe. Like we're in this together at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't you want the best outcome for yourself? And why wouldn't the universe want the best potential outcome for a member of the the planet that is responsible for perhaps uh, improving it? it, man? That's that's at the end of the day. That's what it is. Yeah. But in reality, Price's Law kicks in. And uh, yeah, that's a whole different conversation. Yeah. And so you now we're in Kate Beckinsale. Yeah, so John Sarah's. Cusack and Jeremy Piven fly back to New York for an, another seven-hour flight. He's got to get married. He mentions, you know, if uh, miss it by ten. If minutes. I miss it by ten minutes, I'm going to miss, gonna miss my own wedding. And Kate Beckinsale's on an airplane as well, uh, going back to San Francisco because she's defeated to a certain degree. We skipped over the part. Are you sure, it was yes. San Francisco? No, yeah. she doesn't go back, actually. Or she's on a plane to go back by she's herself. She's about to go. She's yes. about to go. And we missed the part where Molly Shannon's character buys a fake Prada purse. And, uh, she, Prado. Prada. Yeah, Prado. it says Prado, missing the A. Uh, <laughs> counterfeit luxuries items she's are totally a major problem. It. Yeah. Um, and they switch each other's wallets because she's like, oh, my wallet at least says Prada. Yes, and, and she buys a, a pair of earphones on American Airlines, and uh, she has the wrong wallet. Yes, and that wrong wallet contains the five dollar bill, the unbeknownst $5 to bill. her, and she gives it for the the headphones. You guys remember that five dollar bill, right, from the beginning? Yeah. yeah, that's where it comes out, and uh, she's and this is what I, I'm sorry, I have to say this, but. So when she she steals the lady's five dollars yeah. and runs out, like go to uh, jail direct, she would have been handcuffed. <laughs> like that's, yeah. that's air that's, marshal that's, on your ass. I'm sorry, man. Even back then, before nine eleven, uh, you well, steal somebody's yeah. dollar bill, you're done. Yeah, in front of everybody, but even more so afterwards. Yes, like it's, it was nothing's going on on the plane that's like any re, anything remotely illegal. So anyway, somehow she gets away from the authorities. So I'm sure there's some kind of like director's cut with a GTA style shootout. And, and car ride to <laughs> That'd get <be> great. <laughs> I mean, serendipity <laughs> rated R. Yeah, and she's in the taxi, and she's like, "Take me to the Waldorf Astoria." Yeah. And then, or no, she goes uh, to his his address, his address. Jonathan Traeger, because she now has his name. Yes, she never had his full and, name. And the guy on the steps, which is so true, by the way, if you're in New York, people really do Sit hang on out the on steps. the steps. I'm serious, dude. I've done it too. It just happens, man. So, so Cusack's neighbors are sitting on the steps. And she says, "Is this, do you know where I can find Jonathan Traeger? Is this where he lives? And he says, you must be here for the wedding. Uh, you're a little late. You might make it there in time. Waldorf Astoria. Waldorf Astoria, where it yeah. all began, where oh. she was just at as yeah. well. So, oh, by the way, we skipped the part with we the Dalmatian. We didn't go because of the Dalmatian. That's where she buys the purse. Yeah, because she goes back to Chelsea Piers first. Yeah, the And golf. she touches the gum on that he put yeah. on the bench like yeah. a jerk. Yeah. Hate people that do that. By the way, maybe I shouldn't like these characters now that I think hey, about. Shout them. out to all the out. sixth graders and seventh graders Gosh. that went to my middle school and felt underneath their desk. That was me. Oh God! At least it wasn't magic nose goblins. What's that? Boogers. That's oh, under the, the desk. Yeah, some kids would put boogers underneath the desk and they would harden and they could cut you. And what stuff. do you do when you're in your car though and you got a booger? You flick it at passerbyers. Nah, you you go no, you kidding, go driver's man. seat and you take care of it when you get out, right? What you you, you put your booger under the driver's seat and you you take dude care I don't of I try not to pick my nose in the car period bro. yeah period dude what if you got to you blow them out in the shower bro that's how you do that's it easy. you start your day off with a nice clean like nostrils I'm learning unless so you're working much. in the coal mine I'm learning so <laughs> and much. then you got to clean them out every three hours but all right anyway cha- this this episode has changed my life. 
blowing boogers in the shower, huh? Yeah, okay. absolutely. That's, <laughs> anyway, that's wild. So she, the, the Dalmatian is what they found, like tied up around them, and he petted the dog, and then it ties up around the the golfing. Uh, what's what are they called? The 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 mascot guy, you know. Oh yeah, the dog curls up the around the trip zone, and that's when she gets the paper to go to Chelsea Piers. Yeah, because uh, well, this is way back. I yeah, don't that's way confuse. back. So those two things. Yeah, we did back. miss that scene. So we're we're just. I just wanted to talk about that because she does go back to Chelsea Piers. She does encounter the the film crew that he was with with to shoot. before. Yeah. yeah, again, they're just missing each other by moments. Yeah, they see everything, and then when yep. she's with Lars. Oh, we missed a really good part. What good part? So when they're together, he points out the freckles on her arms, oh, and it's Cassiopeia. Cassiopeia, which is probably the reason why I took astronomy in college, and I did learn about Cassiopeia and the larger bear and the yeah. smaller bear and all these things. But um, That yeah. happens way back on their way magical back, night yes, in New York but she, City. She sees it when Lars is back, and they're by the same skating rink, and she says, oh, it is Cassiopeia, and she pulls it out and that's why she leaves the jacket on the bench yeah so later on when she leaves him on the carriage when he's talking on the phone and stuff yeah and that's when she gets back on the plane and then now we're back to where we were so just doing a little recap of what's going on you did that smoothly that's all right well everybody at this point uh at the 15 minute mark i would hope that we've we've intrigued folks so much that they just went and bought serendipity and they're watching it and now you're listening to it knowing everything that's happened otherwise Otherwise, we're sort of serendipitying serendipity for yeah. you. And, and the reason why you know they still pine for each other, the very first thing, yeah. is that they both have the same glove. Because they buy the gloves, uh, yeah. and they each take one, one at the end of the night. Because yeah. she was trying to buy it for her... I forget why boyfriend. the reason... Their was boyfriend it? girlfriend, yeah. Yeah, anyway, so... Were they unisex gloves, I guess? <laughs> yeah, maybe. So, they were just black Bloomingdale's gloves. Yeah. Um. So fast forward to it's wedding day at this point, and Kate Beckinsale is being told that Jonathan Traeger is getting married at the Waldorf Astoria. So and she knows it's she the knows. wedding. Well, first of all, she was there for the last two days as well, uh, and maybe she's even putting it all together that, like, oh, man, it's this girl that I saw in the, okay, Serendipity's kicking now in she really full wants- mode. She's got that sea biscuit mode. She sees yep. the other girl and she's like, "Damn, that girl's fine. I need to get with Donna." And then your cliche <laughs> swinging of the wedding reception doors open and stop. Yeah, the very stop. graduation. The graduate. Sorry, but uh, there's nothing to stop. Uh, the chairs are being put away. The janitor of the Waldorf Astoria or whoever is responsible for putting everything up is yeah. says, uh, "Don't worry, you'll get your gift." sent back yeah. to you they always send the gifts back and she's like what what are you talking about well they didn't get never even began. never even started yeah. so you'll get your gift back and then the fullness of 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 love reaches her again and she realizes that her true love uh kicked into true love mode and well, i love the acting of kate beckinsale right there too because she's like crying in a happy way but she has to act like she's sad about it because she doesn't want to be embarrassed that she's like so happy that they didn't get married in front of this old guy that's putting up the chairs and he's like are you a friend of the bride or the groom but by then she's already taken off like a cartoon character maybe my favorite scene in the film it's jeremy piven and john cusack uh walking back from the basically uh, he's ditched his wedding and instead he's with Jeremy Piven and we realize that he never even showed up. I I don't like that they didn't add context to that. Like what everybody showed up and well, then, I think he called it off that morning. Morning. He okay. actually told her bef- they didn't even gotcha. were gonna go. Deleted scene. Yeah, because so, there's just that time where he's like, oh yeah, he called in the morning and it was off. 
So it's like they're they're together, and then that's when he gives them the obituary because he yeah, couldn't write he the best man's it. speech. So he gives them the obituary because that's what he knows. Yep. and he's got a he's got a bouquet of roses in his hands too, okay. and he he's says, gonna "Are you going to go see Holly?" I think is her name. And he's like Courtney. That's it. Um, and he says, "Yeah, you bet, man. You've you've changed everything. You you've uh, you've made me reinvigorated again." And uh, he says, "How do I look?" And Cusack says, like a jackass. And he gives him a hug. Very a endearing. brotherly hug. Yeah, man, that's a beautiful Call scene. Call your friend a jackass, but in an endearing way. I love it. It's a man thing. And then Cusack leaves on his own, and he's sort of happy-go-lucky. He realizes that maybe he's not going to be with either of these girls at this moment, but the journey, the juice was worth, worth the squeeze, uh, and, and his journey on this path has, has been enlightening to him. And then you hear the Piven narration of the obituary. Uh, Jonathan Traeger died. Yeah, it was great. I, I wish I could recite that whole thing word for word right now. I know. But it's all good. I bet you they have a YouTube thing just oh, dedicated sure to that. And, that scene. and he's reading it and, and walking throughout New York, and he just... He's, By the end of the message, yep. he ends up back at the ice rink. At magically. the ice rink, man, didn't even realize it. He's and what's there. there? What's there in the at the ice rink? It's uh, her coat. Yeah, and he grabs it. Yes, which also makes it's me strange. think he's a bastard because he's like thieving now. Yeah, like bro, were you just gonna grab somebody's jacket on the bench? When did Kate Beckinsale leave the jacket at that ice um, rink? When she breaks up with Lars and she yeah. says Cassiopeia, you oh, assume they break right. up there. So yes, they're went, on the horse carriage mm-hmm. and she looks up because she was there a couple hours earlier. Yeah. And the thing is, she's about to leave. And that's when she's like, oh, I'm cold. And then she goes back to the ice rink. And yep. that's when she sees Jonathan there sitting in the middle of the ring or lying. He's sitting first and then lies. Um, and then he sees the glove magically fall from the darkness onto yeah, him. Yeah, a little, her. a little over the top. I love it, bro. I'm, uh, I'm a mushy enough. guy. I was like, yeah. yeah, with all the fake snow flying. I was just taking a them. bath and all that cheesiness. You know, I love it. <laughs> Let it all out, Philip. Let it all out. We don't get to do. Men Sometimes. don't get to do it. With it. there's no romantic man movie. I mean. I've seen a lot of stuff in the last 15 Expendables? Come on, man. I've seen That's stuff a love in the, story. <laughs> I've seen some movies in the last 15 or 20 years that I'll sit there and I'll be like, wow, this is putting me in a zone that I shouldn't really be in. Time Traveler's Wife, Lake House. Uh, there's some other super romantic movies that I'm like, yeah, this is my style of romance. I'm a- Adjustment Bureau is probably... That should be next on your list. If you're, you're like, in the mood for a romantic comedy, check out Adjustment. It's the polar opposite of this. I'll, I'll watch it, but it, it'll be in a sci-fi uh, it is section, a sci-fi not section. in the love section. Let me just I'm give like you the a, notebook guy. I'm going <laughs> to... Okay. Let me give you a 20-second rundown of Adjustment Bureau so you can see how scarily oh, similar man. it is to Serendipity. Uh, Emily Blunt and Matt Damon meet one fateless night in New York City. He's a politician. He's lost an election. He walks into the bathroom, and this girl who's a hot mess walks in, and they just hit it off from jump. Then they... They're separated by the Adjustment Bureau, quote-unquote, which is a group of guys who wear top hats and live in, like, the... uh, They're directed by God to prevent certain to steer serendipity. I think I have seen this. Does it end on a rooftop? Yes. Yeah, I've seen so it. So they ste- <laughs> they're meant to steer serendipity and on their timeline these two people weren't supposed to be together. So they're supposed to do everything to make them so they never get together. It's like the opposite of what serendipity, serendipity is all is. about. Yeah. Okay. So it's really the Emma version. Yes. <laughs> it's not <laughs> It's not really a sequel. It's the Emma version. It's an alternate dimension. It is an alternate dimension. But you and know, it's Philip 
okay dick, so obviously. Yeah. It's, hey, well, he's I got have his book. Yeah. Serendipity, I, though, man. Phillips I, are cool people. <laughs> yeah. With one L's, by the way. Yeah, one L. Another Philip with one L. My favorite uncle growing up, uh, or non-blood uncle, his name was Philip too. So yeah, Philip's are real close. Nice. I always thought I was supposed to grow up to be a librarian with a name like that. You don't really get to be cool with a name like Philip. Or a five-seven running back for the Denver Broncos. Or the guy that gets killed first in a scary movie. <laughs> That's what usually happens. But I've learned all the tricks. I'll survive. <laughs> but anyways, serendipity, man. Like, um, yeah. But serendipity, man. I did love. I'm sorry, but I do like the cheesiness sometimes. I do. I, yeah. I, I think we need that. We need a little bit of cheesiness, you know, and I think probably the world was in a place that needed some good news. Oh, yeah. You know, one too. man, maybe that's why this, million, uh, this movie made 80 million in the box office, which at the time is a lot for a romantic comedy. Uh, still I mean, a Sleepless lot. in Seattle was probably the only thing that beat this out in that 15 year window as far as romantic comedies are concerned. Yeah. I can't think of a more memorable one. This is easily one of my go to's in the holiday season. Whenever it's cold and even. Even when I was a single guy, I'd watch this one by myself. Now that I'm with my wife, it's a much different experience because it's just fun to experience this film with someone that you love. Uh, And at the same time, it's fun to experience it by yourself and sort of be that hopeless romantic. If you're going through a breakup or you're looking towards the future, throw this this bad boy on. Give you some hope. Yep. Uh, We, okay, yeah, we got to the point. Obviously, they get together in the end. They have a very romantic romantic skate on there and a conversation actually, it's, not. It's, it's a it's actually you can tell that there's no ice because it's th- yeah. during this time of year it's actually march or april he says and he's like weird that it's so cold and then oh, it magically yeah, snows right. in a weird time just for them when they meet each other and that yep. was the whole thing and then you know, they get together, and then the end scene is with Eugene Levy. They're having a, uh, they're having Years champagne later. where they yeah. first met with the gloves, and he's like trying to sell them again. Yeah, he's trying to the make the cheesy cool. ending, and the whole thing where he's like, "Oh no, no, don't come back here behind the counter." Yes. That's his deal. Like, That's do not shtick. come behind the counter. But he plays it so natural. It's so good. You know, I mean, Eugene Levy is a master at his craft. He's like, he's like the underrated Groucho Marx of our day. Like. He really could he really play Groucho is. Marx with those eyebrows. Oh, man, he could. I don't know if I'd Put be a into a Groucho Marx bio movie, but if if there ever was one. I think they did make one. I just never watched it, uh, but it should be him if you're going to do somebody. Get him on it. But anyways, so that really wraps up Serendipity as far as the ending goes. They That's how it ends. It just kind of ends on a, like a happy-go-lucky, yeah. whimsical uh, deal, and well, we they roll were... the credits while things are still happening. Let's uh, inform folks that are listening that uh, we originally intended for uh, a sort of a template where we were going to have numerous films that were holiday centered. Yeah. And what we resolved was that it was going to be really tough to dedicate just bits of time. And here we are. What what, what time are we at now? 90 minutes, I want to say at, yeah, least, at least, talking about serendipity. So again, and we pride ourselves on this in the film room. The conversations are longer than the movies, yes. and that's a good thing. Um, people talking about movies is the new, should be the new small talk, like cut cut to the chase. Uh, instead of talking about weather, food, people share commonalities when it comes to movies. I can walk into a, a new environment that I'm at and get introduced to a lot of people and say very quickly, so, hey, you guys checked out Rise of the Skywalker? And then like that, we can get rolling on a conversation. Ooh, that one's going to be a big one. So yeah, it is. Um, 
but since we're talking about Christmas movies, the next one I think we're going to be doing is, yeah. for me, one of my favorite movies, just movies, and also my, one of my favorite Christmas movies, it's an off-Christmas movie, which is Batman Returns. Batman Returns. So, if y'all don't know this, the first two Batman movies are pretty dark. Yeah, and, and we'll get into that. We but, will absolutely get into that. But serendipity, we're wrapping this up because uh, watch the movie, man. Get into the holiday cheer because I think it's there to get you in that magical mood. It really is. The film room is quite a serendipitous it's a serendipitous environment too and and the how we got all this going together it's very serendipitous lots of strings had to be pulled yes, to get this to happen <laughs> yeah so shout outs to the string pullers out there and uh the rest of our audience and we'll see you guys next time this yeah. has been episode seven yes peace